Have you heard of the Torso Killer? The killer got that name because all his victims were found decapitated and their limbs amputated. Because of this, the victims were unidentifiable and there were no clues leading to a suspect. The police were baffled and facing pressure from political figures, they eventually turned to the most prolific law enforcer in American history to step in and help. What happened after that is even more shocking. What you just heard is called a pitch, and it's used to sell an idea for a film to studio executives. I paraphrased, but that pitch was pretty close to the same one that was used to sell a film called Torso. What happened after the pitch was, well, shocking. I'm Nate, I'm your host, and this is Movies Never Made. Selling a movie to a studio is immensely difficult. It takes a lot of talent and even more patience. Even the most experienced filmmakers can miss out on opportunities if their pitch isn't prepared and delivered with the utmost skill. You have to grab the attention of whoever you're pitching to, and you have to leave them wanting more. These were the challenges that faced the man who pitched Torso to Hollywood executives, a comic book artist named Brian Michael Bendis. Bendis began writing comics at a very young age and continued into adulthood. His first three comics proved his unique talent for storytelling and soon Hollywood came knocking wanting to purchase the rights to his comic, Goldfish. Bendis met with some of the biggest studios in Hollywood in an attempt to sell his stories before deciding to take a step back and work on a new project, Torso. Torso is based on the true story of the Cleveland Torso murderer, who is generally considered to be America's first serial killer. As we covered earlier in the episode, The torso murderer got his name because his victims' bodies were found decapitated and their limbs amputated. Out of the 12 confirmed victims, only two were ever positively identified. Some of the details have been changed in the graphic novel for dramatic purposes, but I'll give you the synopsis. In the novel, Elliot Ness is the newly appointed safety director of the city of Cleveland overseeing the police department. Ness is fresh off his much-publicized battle to take down one of America's most notorious gangsters, Al Capone. Around the time of Ness's arrival in Cleveland, fellow detectives began to investigate the discovery of these mutilated corpses found in various parts around the city. As the victim count begins to rise, the citizens of Cleveland live in constant fear and demand that the police take action to locate the killer. The mayor turns to Elliot Ness, who makes it his mission to bring the torso killer to justice. Fearing corruption among the ranks of the police force, and possibly in the office of the mayor, Ness forms an alliance with two beat detectives, and together they work tirelessly to catch the torso killer. Their investigation leads them to a shantytown, located near the Cleveland Flats, where the killer is suspected to have captured his victims, and Ness is forced to make a drastic decision that some say sparked the decline of his public image, his career, and possibly his personal life. Torso was released as a limited comic series in October 1998, and the collected works released as a graphic novel shortly after. So Brian Michael Bendis set off to Hollywood to sell his movie, along with his partner on Torso, Mark Andreco. In his graphic novel Fortune and Glory, Bendis chronicles his experiences attempting to sell his comics to Hollywood in hopes of developing them as films. It's a fascinating story and I would highly recommend it to anyone. 
the two-pitch torso to various studio figures, but armed with a great pitch and an even better story, the odds still were not necessarily in their favor. The story of Elliot Ness and his crusade during the Prohibition era was already adapted into two major productions, first for television, then for film. The Untouchables was a television series that ran from 1959 to 1963 and was based on the memoirs of Elliot Ness. The series was a fictionalized account of Ness's experiences battling crime during his time in Chicago. A film based on the same memoirs was released in 1987 directed by Brian De Palma, also titled The Untouchables. The film starred Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness and chronicled his very public mission to take down Al Capone, played by Robert De Niro. Sean Connery also starred in the film and won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Coincidentally, Brian De Palma was connected to the story of Elliot Ness before The Untouchables. In 1983, De Palma directed Scarface, starring Al Pacino, which is a story of Cuban refugee Tony Montana as he climbs up the ranks of the criminal underworld. The film was simultaneously praised and criticized for its excessive violence and use of language. Scarface was actually a remake of a 1932 film of the same name, directed by Howard Hawks. The 1932 version starred Paul Mooney as Tony Camonte, an Italian immigrant who follows a similar path as his 1983 counterpart. Howard Hawks's Scarface holds a firm legacy in the history of film for many reasons. The use of the letter X throughout the film, usually to mark a character death or another unfortunate event, has been acclaimed and borrowed by many filmmakers, including Martin Scorsese, for his 2003 film The Departed. Next time you watch The Departed, look out for moments when certain characters have the letter X on or near them in some way, and you'll have a pretty good idea of how their stories wrap up. Oh, and here's how it all ties together. The 1932 Scarface film is based on a novel published in 1929, which is based on the life of Al Capone. With a unique connection to the story of Elliot Ness, Brian De Palma seemed like the perfect candidate to help bring Torso to the big screen. According to Bendis' book, Fortune and Glory, De Palma was interested in joining the project. Just as suddenly as he expressed interest, Brian De Palma decided to pass on the film, so the search was on to find a new director. Let's take a look at some qualified candidates with experience in true crime films. Martin Scorsese has more than adequate experience directing films based on true life events, with one of his biggest films being Raging Bull, the story of boxer Jake LaMotta and his self-destructive lifestyle, including his complicated connections to the Mafia. And also Goodfellas, which is perhaps Scorsese's most successful and critically acclaimed film to date, which is based on the life of Henry Hill and the events surrounding the Lufthansa heist that occurred at the JFK airport in 1978. Later, Scorsese continued to tackle true crime, bringing Boardwalk Empire to HBO and releasing The Wolf of Wall Street in theaters, which is a story of white-collar criminal Jordan Belfort. Arthur Penn directed the 1967 film Bonnie and Clyde, based on the exploits of the true-life bank-robbing couple. Though the film wasn't entirely accurate to the true story of Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker, Penn created a movie that was wildly successful and a prime example of the new Hollywood era. Bonnie and Clyde was hailed as a counterculture masterpiece, breaking away from the classic Hollywood formula and presenting a bold approach towards violence and sex. In his review, Roger Ebert said of the film, 
a work of truth and brilliance. It is also pitilessly cruel, filled with sympathy, nauseating, funny, heartbreaking, and astonishingly beautiful. Not to mention, the film features what is perhaps the most memorable and shocking death scenes in all of film history. Curtis Hansen is the director of L.A. Confidential, which was released in 1997 to rave reviews. L.A. Confidential is the story of three Los Angeles detectives as they work to solve a murder case involving fellow police officers and Hollywood celebrities. The film shares similar themes to Torso, including a killer on the loose and police corruption. L.A. Confidential was nominated for nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It won two awards, Best Supporting Actress for Kim Basinger and Best Adapted Screenplay for Curtis Hansen and his co-writer. The film lost in all its other nominated categories to another critically acclaimed film that was released that year, James Cameron's Titanic. These filmmakers were more than qualified, however, none of them were actually considered for the job. Instead, the next director interested in Torso was a filmmaker whose biggest hits to date included a film about a pair of detectives investigating a series of murders based on the seven deadly sins, and a film about a man's meltdown and subsequent creation of an underground club whose first rule is to not talk about it. The director was David Fincher. Though you might not be familiar with his name immediately, you've certainly watched his films. David Fincher is the director best known for Seven, Fight Club, The Social Network, and most recently Gone Girl. His work extends beyond film, as he was one of the key figures in adapting the British television series House of Cards to the American version that you know today, and he also directed the first two episodes. In addition to that, Fincher directed the music video for Justin Timberlake's Suit and Tie. Fincher expressed interest in Torso and quickly jumped into the development. Fincher was never officially signed on, but confirmed his involvement whenever asked. And though a cast was never signed on to the film, Matt Damon was rumored to be interested in the role of Elliot Ness. David Fincher eventually left the project and went on to direct another film about a mysterious serial killer on the loose in a large city. Zodiac was released in 2007 and starred Robert Downey Jr., Jake Gyllenhaal, and Mark Ruffalo, and directed by David Fincher. The film was based on a true story of the Zodiac Killer, who stalked San Francisco in the late 1970s with a rampage of killings and taunted the police force with a series of coded messages leaving clues to his next victims. The story follows Robert Graysmith, reporter Paul Avery, and Detective David Toshi as they each face growing tensions in their daily lives and the increasing fear among the people of San Francisco while attempting to capture the Zodiac Killer. Gyllenhaal plays Robert Graysmith, cartoonist for the San Francisco Chronicle, and the man who would crack the Zodiac's code. Graysmith wrote a novel on his experiences, which served as the basis for this film. The Zodiac story had been in film before, albeit highly fictionalized. The most notable example is Don Siegel's 1971 film, Dirty Harry, starring Clint Eastwood. In the film, Detective Harry Callahan, played by Eastwood, uses his unconventional police methods to hunt down a killer known as Scorpio. Though both films are based on the same events, Dirty Harry and Zodiac could not be more different. Dirty Harry can be seen as somewhat of an exploitation movie which were popular in the 1970s, and the film features fantastically violent set pieces and a near-invincible tough guy in the form of Detective Callahan, 
the film is his story more than it is about the killer. Dirty Harry was successful and even spawned four sequels, all featuring Eastwood's Callahan character. Brian De Palma also went on to direct a true crime film, The Black Dahlia, starring Aaron Eckhart, Josh Hartnett, and Hilary Swank. Released in 2006, the film was based on the novel of the same name, which is a fictionalized story chronicling the investigation of the murder of Elizabeth Short. Short's body was found in January 1947 and was severely mutilated and in two halves. There are actually some theorists who believe the torso murderer is the same person who killed Elizabeth Short. To this day, Short's murder remains unsolved. NBC was at one time adapting the story of the torso killer into a television miniseries with no connection to Bendis' story. This series would have been based on a novel by William Bernhardt titled Nemesis, The Final Case of Elliot Ness. As of this recording, no further developments have been made in this television series. Brian Michael Bendis continued to find success within the comic industry and is currently working for Marvel. Bendis has written for Ultimate Spider-Man, Avengers, and Daredevil, just to name a few. He also wrote the Age of Ultron comic arc and served as the head writer for the X-Men series. Bendis also remained active in the film industry as a consultant for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and until recently was a part of their Brain Trust, which is a small group that included Bendis, Marvel Studios President Kevin Feig, Marvel Chief Executive Officer Joe Quesada, and publisher Dan Buckley. Together, this Brain Trust laid the groundwork and determined details for every Marvel film since its inception. Bendis actually created and wrote a very unique scene that was included in an early Marvel film that helped launch the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And when will we see the Torso movie? Well, from my research, it seems as though Hollywood may see an investment in a true crime film to be an unsafe gamble. Of the films mentioned, The Black Dahlia has a 32% score on Rotten Tomatoes versus LA Confidential's 99%, which was released almost a decade before. Fincher's 2007 Zodiac has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, but failed to bring in money at the box office, earning $33 million in its domestic run. Now that sounds great, except that the budget was estimated at $65 million. Compare that to 2006 The Black Dahlia, which brought in $22 million in domestic gross and was estimated at a $50 million budget. According to Box Office Mojo, the top-grossing films under the true crime genre are Blow, Public Enemies, The Wolf of Wall Street, American Gangster, and Catch Me If You Can at the number one spot. Though these films are considered true crime, they don't follow a serial killer like the ones we reviewed. Looking at the serial killer genre, the top-grossing domestic film of all time is Hannibal, which was released in 2001. Hannibal is the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, and follows Clary Starling as she tracks down the escaped serial killer slash cannibal, Dr. Hannibal Lecter. The film grossed $165 million against an $87 million budget, which is a far better return on investment. The number two top grossing film? Silence of the Lambs, released in 1991, almost 25 years ago. Now something else that these films all have are big names, A-list stars. In the top five for true crime, Blow and Public Enemies star Johnny Depp, The Wolf of Wall Street, and Catch Me If You Can 
star Leonardo DiCaprio, and American Gangster stars Denzel Washington. The directors are no less prolific and include Martin Scorsese, Ridley Scott, and Steven Spielberg. And let's not forget Hannibal, the top-grossing film of the serial killer genre directed by Ridley Scott and starring Julianne Moore and Anthony Hopkins reprising his role of Dr. Hannibal Lecter. The numbers seem to point our suspicions in one direction, but Cold Feet has never stopped Hollywood before. As explained in Fortune and Glory, Hollywood studios are in constant fear of missing the next big thing, which means sometimes they will purchase properties such as books and comic books in addition to scripts in hopes that they will launch the next big craze, and turning down those properties means they could potentially pass up on a gold mine. So who was the torso killer? I won't spoil that here, but I will encourage you to read the book or do some investigating of your own. And what happened to the torso film? Well, the latest updates are that comic book artist Todd McFarlane, creator of the Spawn series, has signed on as a producer to the film, and as of 2013, David Lowry has signed on to direct. Lowry has worked in the film industry as an editor and recently finished directing the upcoming live-action adaptation of Pete's Dragon for Disney, which is scheduled to be released in August 2016. Could this combination of director and producer finally bring Torso to the big screen? Can a collaboration with an A-list actor help to pull this film from the depths of development limbo? Or is Torso doomed to remain unproduced? It seems that mystery for now remains unsolved. This has been Movies Never Made. Be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash moviesnevermade. Follow us on Twitter at moviesnevermade. Check out our website, moviesnevermadepodcast.com. And take a minute to write a review of our podcast on iTunes. Thank you for listening.